0: Every Monday to
1: Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk.
0: Good morning from me, Peter Lewis. We've reached the middle of the week, Wednesday the 16th of August. It's a busy day for business and finance news, but we have it all covered right here on Money Talk, one of Hong Kong and Singapore's most listened to financial podcasts. And this podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, the People's Bank of China has surprised markets by cutting a key policy rate by 15 basis points. The PBOC injected 401 billion yuan into the banking system via its one-year medium-term lending facility at a rate of 2.5% versus the previous rate of 2.65%. This was the second reduction this year after the central bank lowered the rates by ten basis points on June the thirteenth. Such a move is usually followed within days by a reduction in bank lending rates to households and businesses. China reported July economic data that broadly missed expectations. Retail sales posted the slowest growth since a decline in December, according to the official data. China's retail sales increased by two and a half percent. year-on-year in July, slowing from 3.1% growth in June and missing market estimates of 4.5%. China's industrial production increased 3.7% year-on-year in July, slowing from a 4.4% rise in June. And China's fixed asset investments grew by 3.4% year-on-year in the first seven months of 2023, easing from a 3.8% rise in the January to June period and also missing market forecasts. China has suspended publication of youth unemployment data, citing demographic and economic changes. The age 16 to 24 category has seen unemployment march steadily higher for six consecutive months to hit a series of record highs, culminating in a new all-time high of 21.3% in June. China started publishing youth unemployment figures back in 2018 for the first time. And the Japanese economy grew by 6% year-on-year during the second quarter, much stronger than an upwardly revised 3.7% expansion in the prior period. It easily topped market expectations of a 3.1% increase. And this was the third consecutive quarter of yearly advances and the steepest pace since the final quarter of 2020, largely supported by a strong contribution from net trade, with exports growing the most in two years. On today's programme, I'm joined by Enzio Von Fahl, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield, and John Schofield, Managing Director of Tempest Investment. With a view from Japan, is Nick Smith, Japan Strategist at CLSA. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, Peter Lewis is Money Talk. On Wall Street, U.S. stocks sank to a five-week low as strong retail sales data raised concerns that U.S. interest rates could remain higher for longer. The S&P 500 fell 1.2%, closing at 4,438 and ending the session below its 50-day moving average, a move that analysts often interpret as signalling the beginning of a downtrend. The Dow ended a three-day winning streak, sliding 361 points, or 1%, ending at 34,946. The Nasdaq Composite fell 1.1% to 13,631. Bank shares fell after an analyst from Fitch told CNBC that the agency was considering lowering multiple bank ratings. Shares of large lenders including JP Morgan Chase, Citigroup and Wells Fargo were down more than 2%, while Bank of America fell 3.2% and the KBW Regional Bank Index shed 3.4%. Shares in Vietnamese electric vehicle manufacturer VinFast surged on its NASDAQ debut as the loss-making startup tries to crack the U.S. market. VinFast went public by merging with a special-purpose acquisition company. It opened at $22 a share from the $10.45 price the SPAC closed at on Monday, and it closed at $37.06. That's a gain of over 68% on its first day of trading. Longer-term Treasury yields hit their highest level this year following the economic data, which was stronger than expected. The yield on the 10-year US Treasury bond, which is more sensitive to expectations for economic growth, rose four basis points to 4.22%. That's its highest level since November 2022. The offshore yuan depreciated to around 7.32 renminbi per dollar, sliding to its weakest levels in over nine months as disappointing economic data and another central bank interest rate cuts weighed on the currency. The offshore yuan has depreciated more than 5% against the dollar since the start of this year and is now near a record low. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index slid 192 points or 0.8% to 18,581 down for the third straight session while approaching its lowest level in over a month. The Hang Seng Index has lost all the gains it recorded after the Politburo pledged pro-growth policies during its meeting on July the 24th. The Hang Seng China Enterprises Index, which tracks the largest mainland companies listed in the city, has plunged 7.7% so far this month to become the worst performer among 92 global equity gauges. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite dropped 0.1% to 3,176, sliding for the third straight session. And I'm afraid to tell you there's going to be more pain for Chinese stocks at the open this morning. Futures markets pointing to a loss for the Hang Seng of 272 points. That's about 1.5% at the open. You can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com.
2: Every Monday
0: to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter
3: Lewis's Money Talk.
0: On this Wednesday morning, a pleasure to welcome my two guests. We have with us Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield, Enzio Von Faal. Morning to you, Enzio. Morning, Peter. And also with us, John Schofield, who's Managing Director at Tempus Investment. Welcome back, John.
3: Yes, hello. Good morning, Peter.
0: Plenty going on in China and Japan to talk about this morning. So let's start in China. The PBOC surprised markets yesterday by cutting a key policy rate by 15 basis points. The PBOC injected 401 billion yuan into the banking system via its one-year medium-term lending facility at a rate of two and a half percent. That's 15 basis points lower than the previous rate of 2.65 percent. This is the second reduction this year. The central bank lowered the rate on June the 13th. Enzio um, and John, what do you make of this? Is this sort of going to make much of a difference or is it really a half-hearted measure here given the uh, the poor economic data which we're going to talk about in a moment?
3: Well, I think they have to do something, uh, or be seen to be d- doing something, um, but it's just a, you know, it's just a, just, just trying to cushion the, uh, the, the slide. I think really, um, in the economy, and, and, and um, but what the, the real question is, what's, what's going to happen with, um, you know, how, how, how the government's going to address the, uh, the growing debt crisis, which is spreading as we see from beyond the property. Uh, developers into into these wealth management uh, trust firms and, and so on. Uh, not to mention the local governments themselves that are reliant on property, uh, land sales uh, for much of their income uh, and so on. So um, we want to see what this this task force that's been sent down to have a look at the uh, the, the the wealth management firm. Um, we want to see what they what sort of thing they're going to come up with in terms of uh, uh, restructuring proposals
0: I mean, it's not too difficult for them is it really if they tell the truth they should say what they really are they're ponzi schemes
3: um well you've got this uh it's pretty well you've got sorry here. to be so blunt about for... it but but
0: they are aren't they they're ponzi schemes i mean you know any product that offers eight nine ten percent uh returns when interest rates are below two percent you've got to really question how they do it
3: uh, well, I was going to talk about the, the nexus of an interconnected <laughs> debt. I mean, you've got all kinds I'm, I'm of...
0: I'm digressing, I right know.
2: It's called okay. uh, house of cards, John. Yes.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I've seen it. Triangular debt, that was a new, a new uh, <laughs> expression to me that came out the other day, where everybody owes everybody else money. And going around in in, uh, in 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 circles. Yes, I suppose that's. Oh, money defi- makes the world
2: go round. That's the so.
3: definition of. Well, not in this case because there's no. You've got to have new money coming in at the top of the system all the time to 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 keep mm. keep it uh, feeding keeping, it. yeah. Ponzi scheme. Feeding um, it. And and that <laughs> suddenly, um, <clears throat> I mean, there's a certain amount of self-inflicted damage. Although I think it, it's all inevitable anyway with the. Uh, You recall the three red lines which stopped uh, people like Evergrande borrowing money from banks, instead of which they had to, um, they started raising money from their suppliers by delaying, you know, accumulating vast uh, accounts payable. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm <clears> feeling
0: in a bit <throat> of a critical mood this morning, but nevertheless, these problems are self-inflicted, aren't they, totally. in China? They are as a result of policy mistakes, yes. bad policy decisions, and I get the feeling that the government is now being rather overwhelmed by all these problems that are escalating and mounting together and really doesn't know what to do about them, which is why it's tinkering at the edges with 15 basis points rate cuts.
2: I think it does know what to do. The, it, 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 it goes back from economic policy just to, Basic, the basic observation that it's confidence, not costs that matter. In other words, if you in, if you decrease the cost of, of money by 15 basis points, so what? But if consumers and businesses have no confidence, mm. then they're not going to do anything anyway. And, and the government has been singularly awful about how it's been treating the private sector really over the past years. Um, they're kind of pawns on a chessboard, um, on a Ouija board perhaps, mm-hmm. And I think that that's the the root of the issue. The government's priorities have changed its security for some time under President Xi. That's fine and good. It's not growth. Everything economics has to be subsumed under national security. So um, as Clinton would say in his days, the economy is stupid. Well, in China, it's our security stupid that counts. And so until they decide to... To really encourage the private sector again with constraints, I get that, Um, you're going to find this continued Japanization of the Chinese economy, which is quite dangerous from a geopolitical standpoint. So what needs to be done? There needs to be some quite drastic changes,
0: don't they? Not 15 basis point rate cuts, because that doesn't change the fact that people don't want to
1: borrow.
2: Well, it's an attitudinal thing that, first of all, the, the private sector accounts roughly for 90% of employment and 80% of all investment. So if you keep on thwarting the pro- the private sector mm-hmm. and saying, well, you can do this, but you can't do this, oops, sort of, we've changed our mind. This is exactly what my professor von Hay kept on saying, that if you don't have a stable business environment people won't do anything and that's exactly what we're seeing here is mm-hmm. that the companies, the, the private sector can't do anything because its hands are tied and until that okay. happens all, for, all these stimuli are going to go for okay. naught What what John was saying or what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Well, let me
0: carry on being critical, John, because, you know, it seems that the government's answer um, to the problem is, is to try and hide from them. So th- yesterday they've cancelled publishing the youth unemployment data, presumably because it was too bad. But doing this doesn't really help the economy, does it? And the openness that the, the Chinese government says it wants to have in the economy. And it doesn't help attract foreign investors to come in when the data, crucial data on the state of the economy is, is now being hidden from view.
3: Yes. Well, I mean, foreign investors are effectively on on strike now, um, because, uh, uh, as you say, the the words and the actions just just don't match up. Um, the the uh, whether it's coming from the top or, or whatever, but certainly the people mm. implementing uh,
2: absolutely
3: uh, haven't got the memo about um, encouraging foreign investment and treating them uh, accordingly. Uh, and uh, and there's a clearly yes. there's a clash with the security. Um, issue there where they've decided that foreign investors who want to come in they, they're, they're not going to be allowed to see the books mm. you know they're not going they're not going to send in their, their people doing due diligence or wh- whether they use these consultancy firms on shore like Bain and Co um, who are all uh, I notice slashing uh, slashing staff well they have to because you know there isn't the mm. business uh, coming in uh, anymore so um, yes it is a question of Of attitude and and policy, just 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 sort of going in a slightly different direction. I was um, was rather the one sector, of course, that is doing well is the exporting exporters of um, you know electronic vehicles, solar panels, and and wind uh, wind turbines. And um, you know, I saw the 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 statement by the the chief of. uh, BYD the other day said oh oh now we're going to we're going to was it demolish the western uh, well, uh western our uh, western uh, competitors
0: now isn't that uh, an area then where you know the the youth unemployment rather than ignoring it because ignoring the data doesn't make all those people suddenly employed again but nevertheless you mentioned electric vehicles this is an area where china has an edge it's got big exports presumably it's going to need trained people with particular vocational Mm. skills in that particular area this is where they could make a dent isn't it into the youth unemployment figures uh
3: perhaps but there's um Uh, as we talked about last time the actual actual capacity in China can produce 40 million vehicles a year um, for which the the market in domestic market is is, you know between 20 and 25 million so that uh, 15 million so they already have the capacity um, uh, presumably is increasing automation and so on in that in that sector so it's more a question of what you do with all these graduate engineer, you know, mm-hmm. trained graduate engineers. Maybe um, they they certainly should be able to put to work somewhere in the in the economy, but um, um, I'm not I'm not sure that's the answer.
0: Well, if you look at Germany, Germany would have had if China was Germany, they would have had set up now vocational Absolutely, training centres in a flash to um, to fill that gap and get some of these youth unemployed youth off the uh, off the dole.
2: Yeah, I just don't understand why they don't just also Hong Kong doesn't just use the the German model as a plug and play. There's no invention needed. It's it, it works very well, Germany, Austria, Switzerland. Um and I think the other point being made is that there are twelve roughly twelve million graduates pumped into China every year. That that's what's happening. So mm-hmm. and then we haven't even because we can't discuss the rural economy, that's another nine hundred million peasants running mm-hmm. around. Um, because all these figures, as we all know here, really pertain only to the urban economy. So it's, but it, it, it gets back to my very simple point until you go more private sector, we encourage the private sector within bounds. We, I think they got out of hand and that they, they threatened the power of the government, which I get um, some time ago. Um, but until that happens, all of these b- b- stimulus measures are just going to go nowhere, basically.
0: Mm. Well, let, let's dig into the activity data that we had yesterday. Mm. There wasn't really many bright spots no. in it, if, if any at all, really, and quite a few downside surprises. Mm. Maybe the worst was the retail sales, 2.5% year on year growth. If mm. you go back to April, retail sales growth was 18.4%. Um, and now that's so, this idea yes. of, a, of a consumer led recovery it's looking rather forlorn isn't it
2: well it's also that the consumer in china apparently accounts only for about one third of the economy whilst in normal economies like the u.s or Mm. europe or whatever it accounts for about three quarters of the economy so until you get the consumer going again but that's again all a function of job security we even see that in hong kong people are not going out and spending as much because they're not secure about their jobs
0: john where's the consumer gone
3: uh, yes, <clears throat> that was, um, uh, if you remember, the, the expectations, I think, you know, before COVID and before all this security stuff were that China would start to gradually transition away from, you know, towards a uh, consumer oriented economy. And that's just been absolutely uh, actually frozen and stopped. Um, so, um, yeah, I agree with Enzio mm. that has there has to be a change? Of, I noticed that the um, you notice that catering and um, and, and so on was mm. did expand uh, in the latest figures. So, mm-hmm. it's, so there are services, There's some so, little services, areas, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah, 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 you see the same pattern in in uh, in, in Europe as well. Everyone's frantically traveling around, all restaurants and bars are full, even though we're supposed to be heading into a recession. So, mm. so um yeah, but that shows you that there is, there is, um, I think, latent demand for, you know, this shift in, into consumer, uh, yes, yeah, towards a consumer economy. Um, so, as I was saying earlier, the, but the not only not only the uh, domestic economy is still uh, based on, you know, mainly on property and infrastructure investment, which is grinding to a halt, mm. but also the manufacturing sector is still. You know, working on this mercantilist uh, approach—you know, exports and
0: well, that's uh, uh, if you
3: export-driven the... and, and uh, you know, treating as a zero-sum game, saying we're going to destroy the Western competition. I mean, that's hardly
2: yeah, uh, yeah, it's not the growth policy. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, with the industrial production data, that slowed to 3.7% year-on-year uh, yeah. year, from 4.4% in yeah, June. Right. Year-to-date production mm. uh, at 3.8% for the second month in a row. Mm. No surprise there, really, is it? Because we know that people just yes. don't want to buy things yeah, at the absolutely. moment. They don't want to buy goods, as John said. They want to go to restaurants and travel.
3: Yes. Yes, yeah, so it would be interesting to see a breakdown of those, those figures. Um, you know, presumably we're talking about heavy industry as well. You know, steel and yeah, steel the and all the rest now. of it. And that must be it. Must be uh, slowing mm. because mm. of the, the lack of activity in, in uh, property and infrastructure.
0: Well, on the investment side, fixed-asset investment slowed to 3.4% from 3.8% year-on-year. And within that, property investment, that slowed at an Mm. even faster pace. It fell 8.5% year-on-year. The previous month, the decline was 7.9%. Property sales growth um, basically at a standstill in July. It rose only 0.7% year-on-year compared to a rise of 3.7% in June. So, again, maybe no surprise, but it just... Highlights the difficulties, doesn't it, that these property developers like Country Garden now find oh. themselves in? They just can't. Even if they could finance themselves, they can't sell anything at the moment. Uh,
3: yes, well, um, we, the uh, we need to get rid of the the overhang of um, un, unfinished properties. I, white I, elephants, I also, them. yeah, yeah. The, I mean, there's a, there's a huge um, backlog that has to be has to be cleared so the property market needs to it needs a liquidity coming into it but also needs to find clearing prices for for a lot of the unsold yeah. stuff that already exists mm-hmm. um, and only then can you get the get the wheels turning again
0: yeah so the big question then Enzo, that everyone's asking mm-hmm. in the market does this mean the pboc is going to undertake some form of stimulus quantitative easing whatever you call it and is that even the right thing to do
2: Well, I'm sure it will take that step. It's been doing these sort of baby steps on it anyway. Um, But again, I think it's totally misdirected. It's a little little bit like telling an alcoholic to stop drinking by eating more vegetables. It just doesn't, there's there's no, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And if you if you want to make a, this transition to presumably a less debt fueled economy, which is what the
2: government yes. says, increasing debt is not really the answer, is it? Yeah, nor is common prosperity. I, I don't understand how you people get more prosperous by being unemployed. But maybe I went to the wrong
0: economic school. Don't get me started uh, on common prosperity. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've said enough
0: already this morning, John. I mean, yes. what, what do you think? Are we first uh, of all are we going to see stimulus? Secondly, do you think it's the right thing to do?
3: Um, Probably limited st- stimulus, um, and uh, you know, as we've been discussing, I, I don't think it's gonna, it's not really the answer. It's just cushioning. Um, quantitative easing. How about sort of um, going into the market and buying up all the the, the bonds from the property mm, property developers, mm. and then, <laughs> and then putting, <laughs> they might have to then putting you know national yeah national, nationalise some of the some of the debt and presume. Temporarily nationalise the developers, restructure them, and then
0: and then sell them off later. Yeah,
3: and sell sell them off later. Yep. Well, you Um, could do that not just with Yeah.
0: You could do that with a lot of companies, couldn't you, on the mainland? Not just property developers. Mm. I mean, there's plenty of state-owned enterprises. You know, you could follow the Indonesia route and say, why do we need to own all these companies? Why don't we Mm. start privatising them? But of course, that goes against totally the philosophy of the of the Chinese Communist Party.
2: Yeah. 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 yeah that's very much also at the, at the at the root of this I think and they want to remain in power which I get um, they've also done some pretty good things over the years let's keep it in perspective but I think it's ultimately it's 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 a power game
0: mmm well, the market implications of this, um, John and Enzio, first of all, the yuan. The yuan mm. um, is at a, a seven-month low, the lowest since uh, – sorry, yeah. a nine-month low, the lowest since November. Yeah. Um, the, the yield on the Chinese government bond, 10-year government-built bond, is at a three-year low um, at the moment. Presumably, um, we're just going to see a, a long, drawn-out decline in both, aren't we, at the moment, on, on, the, on the current trajectory we're on?
3: Uh, yes, I think so. That that would be that would be my um, my take. I mean, the prop- again, I, I don't think there will be many foreign investors interested in buying, uh, you know, uh, uh, yuan bonds. Um, and um, yeah, I think the, the the currency is probably going to continue to weaken. Partly the counterpart, of course, of the strength of the of the US dollar. Um, the uh, exporters won't be too bothered about that i suppose but no not some, in china <laughs> but uh, not in any there, low maybe. cost
2: producing economy that's where the exchange rate really mm. counts but mm. once you the higher up you get in the value added chain the less yeah. the exchange rate actually counts in my mind
0: is it, tell me about your economic clock and oh. what and what it's saying about china at the moment
2: well d- disaster <laughs> it's um It's saying that there's an excess supply of money, which we all know about, it's sloshing around in liquidity, but normally that would lead to an excess demand for assets. But because there's an excess supply of goods, in other words, just too much stuff, nobody buying, inventory is going through the roof, I'm sure, Um, the economic time on the face of it looks very good, but in actuality is exactly what we had in Japan 30 years ago. And um, that, until this fundamental policy shift happens, simply cannot by definition change Mm. so it's excess supply of money excess supply of goods is the economic time
0: so is your economic clock partly is it in effect measuring money supply looking at money supply in the uh, in the economy yeah
2: it's it's i mean it's it's all a bit fuzzy it's it's a it's money supply relative to economic growth and that's that's then because if you take economic growth as your sort of demand For money, then you can say, well, if if the supply is growing faster than the demand for money, then you've got some form of of liquidity, in other words, excess supply of money Mm -hmm. around. U um, the, in the U.S., which I realize we're not discussing at present, they do have a very good financial conditions index by the University of Chicago, mm. which continues pointing to more and more easing. But we'll get on to, to America's monetary tightening perhaps later on in the show. So, so what is a bit odd there then is
0: if money supply in China is increasing, mm. which is being reflected in your economic mm. clock and excess supply of money, why isn't inflation going up? Because the two normally go hand no in demand. hand.
2: Because again, the because there's no confidence, people aren't shopping. So you have they're just basically hoarding cash, mm-hmm. and companies are hoarding cash. And because there's no job security, um, people are saying, "Well, I know that I've got this this packet full of money here, but because I have no job, i got better live off the cash."
0: Right. Understand. Understand. But, that's, but
2: it's a very good question. Yeah. Okay, well, let's cheer
0: ourselves up because China, the Chinese economy is a bit depressing. We're going to have to it's switch to Japan China. to do it, though. <laughs> the Japanese economy grew by 6% year-on-year year during the second mm. quarter, much stronger than the upwardly revised 3.78% yes, yeah. expansion in the first quarter and easily topped market expectations of 3.1% increase. I mean, John, you don't often see a developed market economy growing by 6% like that, do you? How, how has this come about?
3: Um, well, it may may be a bit of a, a one-off effect, but um, mm. partly helped by um, by the uh, increase in, in tourism, um, and I think the reforms that have come it has come through so far in the in the uh, in the cor- in the industrial corporate sectors, um, where we've seen a lot, a lot of investment going coming in f- from overseas, quite quite opposite to China, and um, you know uh, Japan has got a top class. Um, um,
2: you know, high base, technology yeah.
3: high technology and and related uh, in, in industry base and all, all those you know similar to not dissimilar to the US in fact in, in some ways it doesn't have quite the leading edge stuff like Nvidia. but they are major contributors to to that in that sector as well
2: and what's your economic clock saying about Japan excess supply of money and a looming excess demand for goods. Now, when I say excess demand, it doesn't mean that it's going through the roof because the Japanese are very conservative. The wages rose by 1.8% year-on-year in May. Um, Now, that's a low number, but it's the biggest gain since February of 1995. That's the biggest gain in 28 years in wages. Mm. So a portion of that, that's the consumption side, will be spent because job security in Japan is rising whilst it keeps falling in China. And so I think that you'll find this, when I say excess demand for goods, it's not that too much money is chasing too few goods because there's still a lot of slack in the system, mm. but it's all on the right track, let's put it like that. So
0: the only problem is, though, with the caveat on that wages is real wage growth is still negative for uh, yes. Japanese households. So presumably they're, they're not feeling particularly rich at the moment, I should imagine, which may be why, because the the, the the blot on this data was consumer- Consumer spending actually declined uh, by half a percent. Presumably, that's one of the reasons why.
2: Absolutely. And, and I think, again, I can only, with with the clock, what we're really trying to do is just to get the, it's a bit like a compass, just to get the directions of going northeast or southeast kind of thing. Um, but again, when, when we talk about excess supply, excess demand for goods, that's still quite some way off because the Japanese are also, by, by definition, very conservative consumers. They're not like the Americans are going to spend before they have. But if your economic clock
0: is pointing to an excess supply of money in Japan mm. and, contrary to uh, China, a looming excess demand for goods, mm. that presumably is inflationary, isn't it?
2: It will. De- yes, um, it depends. It, but there's also, again, the, with the with, yes, with the very simple argument that too much money could be chasing too few goods if they don't mm. up the production. But at the same time, you also have supply-side inflation, the rising costs of certain inputs like lithium and stuff like that. The falling yen is, of course, also going straight into your wicket. Peter has been fanning imported inflation because you're sending more and more yen. What's the rate now? About mm-hmm. one so fourteen to the to the dollar kind of thing. One, 1. 1. 1. 1. 5. 1. forty. One forty-five. One forty-five. Oh, me, 1. 45. Good lord, yes. Um, just how was last I am on year. That. <laughs> that Yeah, that was last year. year. <laughs> <laughs> it's looming, um, <laughs> but. Um, Yeah, so that's going to be driving some imported inflation, but also just oil, the weather. We all know about the weather. Well, that actually does, surprisingly, drive up agricultural goods. So these are things that monetary policy cannot address. That's been my long wail about Mm. the Fed.
0: But I think the Bank of Japan wants to hear you say that this is inflationary.
2: Yes, well, yes, I would say it is inflationary, (laughs) Bank of Japan. Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. John, um, how much of this is down to the weak yen? Presumably that's ah. making a difference, isn't it, and making exports more attractive? Because on the export side, um, Japan has done very, very well, hasn't it? Net exports contributed 1.8 percentage points to the expansion, almost double uh, what economists uh, mm. were, were were expecting.
3: Yeah, I'm sure the weak yen's a factor, but just going back to the, the monetary policy, um I still think Japan Japan has a you know is in a in, in a bind here or well, the bank of Japan is in a bind how to how to get out of this because it's a bit of a they they want inflation they seem to be quite happy with three point or whatever it is now 3.2 um mm. but probably rising but uh you know Japanese um workers and uh, and consumers are not happy with this <clears throat> this level of inflation um you know to to both stabilise the yen and um, and uh, you know make sure that l- inflation doesn't uh, doesn't continue to, to, doesn't get out of control. They they need to need to start um, raising interest rates. Basically. Yeah,
0: and basically end the uh, yield curve control. That would send the yen yes, through the yeah. roof,
3: wouldn't it? Well, I think they need to send a signal at the short end as well. I mean, it's ridiculous having a negative interest rates in 2023. Yes. Um, and they're the only country yeah. that has that. And they lost uh, the yield
2: curve control a little bit, didn't they, John? A yes, weeks yes. Ago. But, but uh, I mean, it's uh, still know, all, all,
3: all tinkering. Even, at the edges. even that, the, 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 the minor tinkering, I think the tinkering is, you know, the bond yields, 10 year bond yields gone from 0.5 to 0.65, something like that. Took a bit of a lurch you know whereas in the meantime US treasuries <laughs> yields have you know gone up by, 42 gone yeah. gone, up, gone Last up year. by <laughs> far more mm. um and um, and looks like heading heading in that direction so that's that's and and don't forget they've got this moribund uh, effectively moribund government bond market where everything goes around, it's most of it's owned by half of it i think is owned more by more than half yeah i think it's by, about 55% uh, by the bank of japan itself so there's a kind of Weird, um, you know, cir- uh, circular thing going on there. And yeah, I want to come back to your
0: um, economic clock. Mm. Tell me what it's saying for the United States.
2: Excess demand for money is, is going to start coming into this, and the excess supply of goods will then translate. This is this is going more into the election year. I think. I think mm. that you will find the rates rising both at the long. And at the short end in the U.S., Um, the short end, because the wages are actually growing by quite a stunning 5%, the the average has been like 1.6%. So the wages are growing very strongly. We know the American pension for consuming, in other words, consume before you earn. So that will... Continue until the rates go so high, also on the long end, and that's because you're going to find a clash of the government may have stopped buying all these bonds, getting bonds, giving money into the system. It may have stopped that, but with the debt levels rising and with the debt level ceiling uh, having been lifted, um, you'll find even more. Demands for federal debt, and so you 'll find the, bond, the the issuance of bonds rises supply rises surprise surprise the bond fall, the bond price falls, and thus the bond yield rises so it's it's, a, it's an upward shift mm. um, on the both the, the the short and the long end in my mind
0: sounds like this is inflationary
2: yes, it is um, but again, I would caution that two thirds of this or one third of this i'm sorry is again driven by these um, non demand factors like food and like mm. agriculture, and so on. One always just wants, and also, even in the wage in the labor market, it's very important to remember that a lot of people these days, contrary to our generation, don't want to work. So, when they say we've got tight labor markets, well, hell, if, if nobody is saying, if nobody's wanting to work.
0: Or they want to work in a different way, maybe by economy, being self-employed, yeah. and, you know, uh, and uh, in, in that way, rather than going Getting to the office. Gas
2: and things like that. Exactly. And, and, and also, there's a new way of working called working less. Um, that's a new way of working. So or Working more efficiently, maybe. <laughs> more efficiently, perhaps, yes. Although it was interesting that the U.S. military decided that instead of sending its emails, efficiency, To .mil, it decided to send all of its emails to Mali.mal, and that was not so precise. So the Mali people now have all of their defense plans, their tax bills, and all this kind of stuff. That's (laughs) one up for American efficiency, as many good things as America does have. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, one, one of the things we should mention here, that while interest rates are going up and while there's been this tightening, mm. um, the Fed is also shrinking its balance sheet as well, isn't it? It's sold yeah, a quite. trillion dollars of, of bonds off its balance sheet in the first uh, first part of this year. <laughs> and presumably that's going to increase, isn't it, over, over the second half of the year? To, by
2: 2025, they will do another $1.5 trillion of shrinkage of the balance sheet. Yeah. Um, and... Um, that then means that the Fed funds could well rise by another 0.4% on top of the current level. So I've always been feeling that they would go on more up to 6%, whether it's 55 or 6 it doesn't matter. But th- that, again, it, it ties into that. But John, you were going to say something.
3: Yeah, just... Uh, just um, uh, The one thing I would say about the Fed in, in recent times, that's to say the last year, uh, year, year and a half or, or so, um, they've been very consistent. Um, so this... Um, uh, they're not selling actually the the holdings of securities. They're just allowing them to run off as the, as they mature. Yes. Mm. Uh, and they said they announced a plan eighteen months ago that they were going to let it run off at ninety. I think it's eighty five or ninety billion a month, and they've just stuck with that. And that's and so so we've already got you know from a nine trillion balance sheet, it's now down to slightly less than 8, I believe. Yes. And. Um, you know, which is still far, far higher than it was mm-hmm. before COVID. Again, excess of the market has yeah. handled it very uh, well, hasn't it? This yes, this Yes, uh, this yes, line yes off. so far, and I think um, the fact that you know the do- the dollar is strong and and people can uh, you know are earning these, um, well, I mean the short end. You know, people are now getting five, five and a half percent. So that's that's fine. And and there's I don't th- uh, unlike you know many market. Participants are uh, desperately trying to forecast when they're going to start cutting rates. I don't think there's, no. there's anything like that on the horizon you. for.
2: Where are you putting for, them no, John, on a, on a? Are they going to plateau? At what level do you think the Feds?
3: Um, well, it's, uh, they said they would get to here. The, the, going no. back to the consistency thing. Yes, we've got to exactly where they said they were going headed. You know, more, more or less a year ago. But, yes. that um, yeah. Paces so. Um, yeah, we'll see what they say in, in September. But uh, I think they will just keep their keep their options open. I wouldn't be surprised to see another I would another, either, yeah. um, another quarter point or something. Yes, in September, they've really got to knock the inflationary expectations on the head. Mm. I think, mm. um, and I'm not convinced they, they've, no. they've yet done that. Um, meanwhile, the the, lo- the long end, you know, the long end will will back up. We, part of normalisation is to have a normal yield curve. You know. Um, positive yield. Yes. Curve. Yeah. Um, Currently, has got this weird kink in it at the ten-year. Mm. Um, the belly of the is curve, as they low. call it. Um, yeah. I'm not sure why that is, but I, I would. I think the um, the runoff of the Fed's balance sheet will p- probably cure that. In uh,
0: that's a good uh, point. Andrea, and yeah, very quickly, where, mm. where do you think Fed rates are going to get to?
2: I think more. Um, if this view holds of this IMF economist that another 1.5 um, trillion will in in production runoff on the bonds will lead to another 0.4 percent in yields, and they're currently at point four point two five I believe, mm. and I think they would go to 4.65 to be desperately precise. Mm. That's not really the point. That more closer to six than to, than certainly to four.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much for your thoughts. Very interesting discussion this morning. You heard Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield, Enzio Von Fowl, our regular Wednesday commentator, and John Schofield, who is Managing Director at Tempus Investments. I'm joined now by Nick Smith, who is Japan Strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. Morning to you, Nick. Good morning, dear. Well, look, the Japanese economy grew 6% year on year during the second quarter. That was much stronger than the 3.7% expansion in the prior period, beat nearly every single economist's expectations. The average was about a 3.1% increase. Nick, how on earth has that come about?
1: Well, I think uh, most people forget that um, that tourism is booked in, uh, in exports, and so you're going to read people saying um, Japan's over dependent on uh, on exports, uh, that it was all about the yen, and it wasn't. It was all about tourism. I mean, I think as, as far as a, um, a economist is concerned, he's just not used to tourism moving the needle. Um, and it took, you know, obviously decades to get uh, uh, tourism up to I, th- I think it was 0.8 percent of GDP in um, in 2019. So um, it's gone from zero to that uh, uh, approaching 0.8 over uh, a period of just a few months. And that, Hmm. I think, is what's uh, what's confused people. But obviously, the point is that we got the announcement uh, last week on the 10th of August saying that um, China is uh, removing impediments to uh, to uh, group tours. And so that should add to um, to tourism going forward. We're getting new numbers out for for tourism for July today.
0: Yeah, but it, it got back the the late, last figures that we saw from the National Tourism Authority said that Japan's recovered to more than 70% now of its pre-pandemic levels, which is much better than a lot of other countries.
1: It certainly has. I mean, obviously the um, the weak yen helps in all of this, and it, it's not just the uh, the yen itself. It's the the fact that uh, prices haven't moved in in Japan since uh, since before some people were born. Um, so, you know, the, the, the in in geek terms, that's the uh, real effective exchange rate is is back to um, 1972 levels, I think.
0: Right, right. But I I know you mentioned that, you know, people wrongly think that this is all about the weak yen and exports. Nevertheless, exports did contribute quite well to this, didn't they? Net net exports added about 1.8 percentage points to the expansion. So this has made a difference. And I presume particularly for cars
1: well that's uh, that's true yes so um as i say tourism is is uh, a large part of that uh, that exports number this time um and um and yes autos was was a big surprise i was just as i was going through the um the quarterly earnings numbers i was i was blown away by just how strong autos had been um we knew that they'd had uh, supply chain bottlenecks um we knew that there were other uh, other problems but that came snapping back i think the volumes in autos were uh, were approaching um was it 30% year on year mm. um so the volumes were good the um what was particularly impressive was uh, was pricing and for most of the auto companies pricing was the biggest contributor to uh, to profit growth
0: mm. and i suppose it's also wor- worth mentioning that the japanese economy is now the the, the largest on record it's about three point eight five trillion uh, trillion dollars that's about what 561 trillion yen the biggest on record and presumably only going to grow because the the imf is forecasting uh you know growth for the for the whole of 2023
1: well that's right um so people are uh, revising up um gdp numbers i think uh, there are concerns about the rest of the world particularly um europe's looking uh, horrible at the moment so um japan within all of that looks attractive um obviously as an equity game i'm far more um, interested in what's going on with profits and profits in japan have been on a, an absolute tear mm. um they they uh trounced the uh, the consensus numbers in the June quarter. They've uh, revised up numbers for the, the full fiscal year and the next one. And, and that's been backed up by companies hiking, um, hiking guidance. And in Japan, it's pretty rare for companies to hike guidance just one quarter into the fiscal year.
0: Right. I, I want to get your thoughts on the market specifically in a moment. Before, before I do that, can I just ask you, how is the Bank of Japan likely to take all of this uh, data
1: uh, the uh, Bank of Japan is, has been trying to have it both ways. So, obviously, um, a couple of weeks back, the uh, the, the BOJ um, increased its um, yield curve control ceiling up to uh, to one percent, but it's still um, buying bonds heavily to try and. Um, uh, to hold down um, interest rates. So uh, um, it, it said it wouldn't move its uh, forecast, and then it did. Um, I, I think um, inflation is coming in a lot um, stronger than they'd, uh, they'd expected. They said it was imported. They said it was uh, was transitory, and uh, I'd said all the way through it's neither of those. And, and mm-hmm. I think uh, we'll, they'll be dragged kicking and screaming into um, – into uh, loosing things up going forward so uh, you look at futures and they're suggesting that um, that the short end might get um, get a bump up within uh, the next sort of uh, six to nine months also
0: am am i right in saying that the bank of japan i mean certainly in my view is getting its messaging terribly muddled at the moment about what exactly it wants
1: well that's right i mean obviously uh, central bankers like to try and tell you that they're sort of engineers and then they're, they're moved by the numbers but um, but the the dirty secret is of course it's very um, uh, a political uh, institution everywhere um, and the, the government would like to uh, to spend like drunken sailors and have it um, <laughs> have its uh, money printed for them um, in, in perpetuity uh, and the Bank of Japan, uh, I mean, I've compared this to the 1930s situation where they did uh, extreme uh, money printing. And uh, the result, of course, was uh, not a very good, yet, it? And, uh, <laughs> it was it? It's hyperinflation. So yeah. It's very difficult to turn around and say no to government. Uh, but um, this is why. Um, why this governor was the only person who, who wanted the job and uh, a lot of others said thanks but it's a poison chalice
0: mm, and, and obviously inflation is going up in Japan but as you've said many times on this program um, when you look at inflation in Japan you've also got to look at wages as well and although wages are going up there's still real wages are negative aren't they maybe not as much as they were before but so presumably the Japanese consumer the Japanese household doesn't feel rich yet
1: no, I don't think it does. I mean, if you look at OECD numbers, then um, wages in Japan uh, have been basically sideways for uh, uh, for three decades. And so we always used to talk about um, fantastic um, Japanese employees and, and coming up with so many ideas of their own. Um, and, and then everyone's now saying, well, look at the decline in productivity. And uh, uh, and I suppose the answer is, well, that's going to happen if you don't pay people properly. Mm. Um, you know, we, we pretend to work and they pretend to pay us. <clears throat>
0: And presumably that's one of the reasons why consumer spending in this GDP number, that was the the blot really on the copybook, wasn't it? Because it was negative. Consumer spending dropped about half a percent. Presumably that is linked to the fact that real wages are still negative.
1: On the face of it, yes. Now, um, as uh, perhaps you know, um, Japan's got the biggest revisions on uh, GDP of of any uh, G7 uh, economy. And that's because they just can't get consumption right uh, and it's based off a, a survey of uh, of nine thousand people, so it, it just blows you away, doesn't it? The the idea that mm-hmm. the sixty percent of the economy is based on a survey of nine thousand people, um, so they tend to revise it a lot. My feeling is there's a better series that comes from the uh, the BOJ that um, that tries to correct some of these problems. That's somewhat more uh, more positive. So in the rest of the world, what we saw during, um, during COVID was that um, there was revenge spending when people came out of it as, as they were spending the money that had been uh, piling up um, over months of not doing anything.
0: So tell me, what does this all mean for the markets? First of all, with the currency, the, the yen has slipped now uh, below 145, presumably at the moment, unless the, the Bank of Japan changes course, it's just going to be a long downward decline for the
1: yen. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, a large part of this has been uh, what the dollar's been doing. Um, there have been expectations that the um, the Fed would be uh, cutting rates, and instead, it's been hiking them. Um, and so, that's an an issue over the next uh, few months. As we get into next year, I'd have thought that um, there'll be much more um, uh, trading on on expectations of the Fed cutting rates. Um, there'll be upward pressure on uh, on Japanese rates. Uh, and I think the, the yen will um, will strengthen somewhat, but uh, that's probably going to take until uh, until next year.
0: Problem is, if you look at the ten-year Treasury bond yield, it's well above four percent now, isn't it? It's not really sustained a rise above four percent since the global financial crisis, but it's doing it now. So that uh, widens that yield gap with Japan, puts more pressure on the yen.
1: I, th- I think so. Um, that's a that's only a short-term thing. I would have thought. Um, it'll start to, uh, to reverse as we get into um, into next year. Mm. Uh, but yes, Japan is, is the real standout on that, isn't it?
0: So what does this mean then for stocks? Where the, if we take the situation as it is, inflation is going up in Japan, but the Bank of Japan sees it as being transitory and uh, and imported. Wages are going up, but real wages are still in decline. Where where are the sectors that you look at uh, within Japan that, that can be the beneficiaries of this scenario?
1: Well, I think um, with those concerns about uh, slowing growth, particularly in Europe, which looks something of a basket case at the moment, um, then the focus should be on domestic much more than um, uh, the next of stocks or overseas stocks. Um, you should, your focus should be on um, dividend yields, because um, I, I think there's a real um, yearning for uh, for yield at the moment uh, with, uh, with rates so low. Um, I think um, one of the areas that I've been focusing on is the extreme labour shortage, and you always get people saying, uh, "Ah, but why don't they just increase immigration?" Because, well, I'm afraid they can't because um, because wages are just so lousy here. Mm. Um, in which case, uh, I've been um, I've been concentrated on, um, for example, those that benefit from the, the labour shortage, which is in staffing and recruitment, but also in um, in areas like uh, labour-saving devices uh, in in automation and so
0: on and let me ask you about banks they're they're normally quite highly correlated aren't they to, to movements in interest rates and JGB yields what do you think about them and insurers maybe as well
1: absolutely yes so um, I had been uh, saying uh, that the uh, there was a, a strong probability of a, um, a an increase in the yield curve uh, ceiling at the last BOJ meeting I was probably the only one who was saying it but uh, Fortunately, I was right, and banks have done quite nicely from that. the uh, The yield hasn't risen as much as I'd uh, as I'd hoped. I think it will um, it, it'll be a slow burn on that, but I think banks are just so incredibly highly geared to, to movements in um, in bond yield that um, uh, that will get continued outperformance on them through the the um, through the rest of the year uh, insurers are also a play on that uh, they're not as highly correlated with yields they're not as um uh, geared to it but uh, but they do look interesting
0: nick it's always a pleasure talking to you thank you very much for that this morning that's nick smith who is japan strategist at clsa in tokyo
1: you're listening to peter lewis's money talk
0: money talk Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more business and finance information from around Asia in my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back tomorrow when I'll be joined on the show by Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Nick Marrow, lead for global trade at the Economist Intelligence Unit. And discussing the latest developments in the oil markets is Vanda Nahari, founder of Vanda Insights.
2: See you tomorrow. Money Talk.